in Ecclesiastes, again, chapter 8 this time, chapter 8 and a fair bit of chapter 9. Uh, it's page 674 of the Church Bibles, and if you don't have one of those but you've got something else, uh, look for Psalms, then Proverbs, then uh, Ecclesiastes just sneaks in after that. So, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it's page 674 uh, of the Church Bibles. We're going to read as far as chapter 9, verse 12. So Ecclesiastes chapter one, uh, chapter eight, <laughs> reading from verse one. Uh, who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it. So uh, no one has power over the day of his death. And as no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing, sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. And so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. 
Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. And even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And we finish our reading there. You might be thinking, thank goodness. Uh, but this is God's word, and so we'll tackle it together. Uh, last week, we, uh, we thought about wanting to make a better life for ourselves or wanting to make a better world for everyone. And we realized uh, pretty quickly uh, that we don't control everything, that we can't control everything. That power is not available to us. It's not hidden deep inside in some sort of Hollywood truism. It's, it's just not there. That said, the world is not utter chaos and living wisely is better. It is a better way to live that usually does improve things. So the Proverbs are there and they are valid. They're not promises. They're Proverbs, not promises. They're truisms, not guarantees. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes has warned us not to take wisdom to its extreme either. Assuming that there's a mystical amount of wisdom that will allow us, if we can just, if we can just get it, uh, if not to control bad times, then at least we'll understand them. We'll understand everything that happens. We'll understand um, the tough times. But that's not the case. There's no amount of wisdom that gets close to understanding what God sees and, and governs. And so if we take wisdom too far, it is better, if wisdom is better, but if we take it too far, we're going to end up destroying ourselves with questions that we'll never be able to answer, like, why does this tragedy happen? Why has this happened to me? What is God's purpose in this? And, and so on. Maybe you've asked some of those questions even recently. Um, and as one topic of this book kind of bleeds into the next, so we arrive at the big idea for this week. And it's this, we can't figure it all out. We can't figure it all out. Uh, I have a 3D jigsaw of the world uh, at home. In fact, I think, Beverly, you've, you've got it at the moment, and I don't know if I've told you what I'm about to say, but I hope I have, because um, <laughs> you need to know. Uh, so it's, uh, it's about the size of a football, 3D globe. It has its own kind of stand to hold it up, and um, doing a 3D jigsaw of the world, by the way, is a great way to understand what it means that the world is 75% covered in water, because they're just like three quarters of this jigsaw is really hard. Um, but before despairing, we can turn to wisdom, all right? So wisdom is good, wisdom is better. We can turn to wisdom. Now, wisdom says, look, all the pieces are numbered on the back. And so once you've done Antarctica at the bottom, it's really easy, if you just look on the inside, to build the thing up from the back because the number on the piece, you know that piece is going to sit pretty close to the previous number. And you can kind of 
build up the latitudes the whole way, uh, <clears throat> just put, putting pieces near, uh, near the others that they are numbered with. However, however, wisdom only gets you so far because uh, of two reasons. One reason is that there's a piece of ocean missing somewhere uh, near the Galapagos Islands. The, the physical piece of the puzzle was not in the box. Uh, and maybe you know what that feels like from jigsaws yourself. That piece of the puzzle was missing. Shame it wasn't the Bermuda Triangle. We could kind of made a thing of that, but, uh, but, it, but it's not. It's somewhere, somewhere the other side. Uh, and the other reason why wisdom only gets you so far is that while the peace for central Switzerland and the peace for um, the capital of the Philippines, Manila, are identical in shape, both have been printed with the Philippines. And of course, a mistake is better than a hole. You have to look quite closely to spot the mistake. So I put the piece in there when I built it. And so welcome to Manila, Switzerland. Um, and just shh, don't tell anyone. So wisdom kind of gets you most of the way to building that jigsaw, although some would call it cheating to use the numbers on the back. But you can't figure it all out. There is a, there is a glitch. There are gaps um, for reasons only the manufacturer could tell us, uh, and possibly not out of their great sovereignty and purpose. <laughs> um, and that's the big idea of the passage today. There are gaps and glitches that even wisdom and living smartly can't answer. So we can't figure it all out. So here's the start of it. Wisdom helps, but the world is broken. Wisdom helps, but the world is broken. Now, just to give you fair warning, uh, we are going to spend most of our time in this heading. We're going to cover most of our passage in this heading. It's going to take a while. Don't panic. The, the next point will be quite a bit shorter, and the final point will be just a little tiny one. So, um, where have I got to? Uh, so, let's establish the idea that wisdom helps, but the world is broken. So, first of all, wisdom helps. And I think we see that again in chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. So, let's kind of skim over them, this idea that wisdom is beneficial. So, think about someone wise, says the teacher in chapter 8, verse 1. Someone who, who kind of knows how things work. How does that person look to you? Often, brighter, happier, healthier, um, perhaps even sort of softer and more compassionate, just more content in the world. Wisdom, and you see this especially in Proverbs, wisdom is woven into the world by our Creator. As we live wisely, we can resonate with that inbuilt wisdom, and it kind of amplifies our efforts. So as an example, if you plant crops at the right time of year, if you build a firm foundation before you build your house, or if you invest in good friendships uh, people who are caring and reliable. All these things are ways of tapping into the wisdom of the way the world is made. Uh, and doing that kind of amplifies our efforts uh, and produces better results. If you plant things when you should be harvesting, then stuff's going to get ruined over winter, and you're kind of going against the grain of wisdom, and the results suffer. So living foolishly goes against that inbuilt wisdom, and our outcomes are frustrated, but living wisely is beneficial. An example of that, I think, in verses 2 to 6, is obeying the king. So don't walk out on the king as if you've got somewhere better to be. Uh, don't support um, bad ideas to the king when he asks for your opinion. You wouldn't do those things with your company director uh, when he visits your office, would you? You wouldn't throw your support behind a couple of bad ideas and then excuse yourself from the meeting to go home early. Um, nor, verse 4, are you going to pull him up on his decisions, or verse 5, go against his instructions. Even verse 6, when you do think a course of action is unwise, there is a smart way to bring it up, isn't there? You know, if you've got to speak to your boss in a, in a way that kind of goes against what he's thinking and maybe corrects him a little bit, there is a smart way to do that. You know, a quiet word in private 
is much better than a, a, you know, publicly embarrassing your boss at the all-staff meeting. Um, so all of this wisdom kind of helps us get along. It benefits us. But verses 7 and 8, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. Wisdom helps, but verse 7, that doesn't always mean that we know how things will work out. Verse 8, we don't control the wind. Uh, otherwise, the, the Blaney camping trip to Cornwall would have been much more successful uh, last summer. Nor do we control the timing of our own death. Uh, there's a brokenness and a limitation to life. There's even a limitation on wisdom. It does help, but it doesn't guarantee success and happiness. Although verse 8, it is better than wickedness. Uh, once you're on that team, there's no transfer. You know, once you're on the team of wickedness, deserters will be shot in the back uh, trying to get away. So wisdom helps, but there are no guarantees. This is the theme that we're building up. And that sets the, the teacher, I think, onto a bit of a downward spiral, uh, a bit like this. Wisdom helps, he says. And then he, he realizes, oh, but there are no guarantees. And then he says, well, come to think of it, in fact, uh, sometimes everything's wrong. It's all upside down, and it all unravels, and nothing's as it should be. And that's where he goes in chapter 8, verses 9 to 14. So uh, sometimes everything is just wrong. So verse 9, all this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Uh, then too, I saw the wicked buried. In other words, um, uh, buried as in honored in death. I saw the wicked, wicked honored even in death. Even those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this, where they did their wickedness. Uh, so sometimes the king is good and wise and you should stay in his presence and offer good advice and obey him. But sometimes, verse 9, the person in charge is a real despot. And you're safer if you can just get behind the scenes, just get away. Uh, you know, he loves power. He lords it over people, uh, even when that kind of authoritarian approach hurts him uh, as well as everybody else. He's so corrupt, he'll, he'll even suffer damage just to hold on to power. He'll run his country into the ground and destroy his own future uh, just to wield and, and use and keep power. And we can probably think of a couple of countries where we reckon that's probably what's going on uh, in the world today. People clinging to power while the country falls apart. Or verse 10, the teacher describes going to this elaborate memorial service for the dignitary, perhaps even a religious or moral figure, someone who's used to coming and going from the temple, uh, the holy place, uh, an, an elaborate memorial for someone who is known to be wicked. Everybody knows this is a bad guy, and yet we're here to celebrate the life uh, of this person and honor them in death. And that is not how it's supposed to be. We feel the wrongness of those things, don't we? That the power-hungry dictator or the celebrated hypocrite. That's not how things are supposed to be. Wisdom says in the normal run of things, their choices should catch up with them. Uh, they should get what they deserve. We talk about it in those terms. They should get what they deserve. They should get what's coming to them. Wickedness uh, will not release those who practice it, verse 8. There should be consequences against going against, uh, for going against the grain of what's right and wise in the world. But there are not always consequences. Wisdom gets you so far, but it's not watertight. The world is broken, and sometimes things work out really well for the wicked, in this life at least. And people getting away with wickedness means that wickedness spreads. Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. <laughs> when people see people getting away with something, they want to follow their lead. Uh, you might think of countries where you, know, you need to, anything you need to get done that involves 
like officials and paperwork and, and government and driving license and visas and all of that. This, it just kind of runs on low-level bribes. And you kind of think, well, if I don't, if I don't pay up, I'm going to get nothing done. I won't get my driver's license or I won't get what I need. And if you don't take bribes, how can you afford to pay bribes? I, I don't know. Um, or or th I think of someone I heard of in the real estate business who discovered that uh, the reason he wasn't getting promoted because he was the only one in the office who uh, wasn't fiddling the property prices or uh, sticking down an extra room by mistake on the property listing to generate interest and views from prospective buyers. This kind of company dishonesty, low-level uh, stuff just spreads. This corruption spreads uh, like, a, like a virus. That's not a bit too close to the news. And so we've got the, the mixed results of verses 12 to 14. Mixed results. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, which happens, uh, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Uh, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked who get what the righteous deserve. Um, so wisdom helps, but the world is broken. We see these mixed results. It's not as bad as it could be. And you might live in a time and a place with a just government and a compassionate boss and an honest set of colleagues. And you may have had the privilege of loving parents and a straightforward home life and a decent income. Life might be working well for you in all areas. Uh, you might be living much more at the wisdom helps end of that heading than the uh, everything's broken end. You might not experience much of the brokenness yourself, but you have to admit it's still broken because we all face the most broken thing of all, death. Uh, yes, we're going there again. Uh, even the righteous, wise, comfortable man, the man for whom everything goes well, like King Solomon, uh, who's involved in the writing of this book, uh, even that person still experiences the death of others and death of self. Uh, so here's where we go next, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 9. So even if it's all going well, we still experience the brokenness of the world in death. So chapter 9, verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. Uh, the, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who, who don't. In other words, people who turn to God and repent uh, of sin and worship him and those who don't want anything to do with him. Living life at the altar doesn't alter the outcome necessarily. Uh, as it is with the good man, so with the sinner. Uh, as it is with those who take oaths or make promises to God, so with those who don't. Uh, this is the evil that in everything that happens under the sun, the same destiny overtakes all. And so then in verses 4 to 6, I think the teacher just goes into this tailspin of despair uh, as, he, as he really lets this get to him and eat at him. So, you know, better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living have to face death, and that's bad, but the dead are already dead, and that's worse because they do nothing, and before long, nothing's known of them, and he's just spiraling uh, down. Um, <clears throat> A little relief uh, is needed. Uh, this, this live dog, dead lion thing. It's been said that if aliens observed Earth, they would think that dogs were the dominant species. 
uh, at least in the West, I guess. They, they, they walk in front of us. We walk subserviently behind. We collect their mess for them in little bags and process it in our waste. Uh, we serve them their food. We light fires for them to lie beside. It all looks like we're serving them. Now, not so in uh, ancient Israel or, to be honest, in other parts of the world today. Dogs were scavengers, flea-ridden, mangy, hungry, and if you really wanted to insult someone, you called him a dog. The lion, though, is king of the beasts. You know, if you're a lion, you eat what you want, you sleep in the open because you're not afraid of anybody, no one can take you in a fight, and you are top of the food chain. You've got nothing going against you. But the teacher says that death is such a mark of the brokenness of this world, so final, so unforgiving, you'd be better off as a living mangy dog than a majestic dead lion. Better to live as a pauper than be dead and, and be a prince, or have been a prince. Um, apparently, Windows 10 has some pretty sketchy updates recently. I don't know if I've, if I've adopted them from my computer, but they're causing a lot of trouble for computer users. Uh, and death is like a glitch. It's like a bug, uh, a bug that destroys code and causes that blue screen crash uh, that can't be recovered. Maybe you've had that trauma. You're right in the middle of finishing some really difficult piece of work and then blue, and three days later you haven't got it back, and the work you think is, is never coming back. Death is a glitch in the system. And we feel it, don't we? We say things like, he was taken too soon. It wasn't her time. I can't believe he's gone. She had so much to live for. You see, it's hard enough, isn't it, when we lose an elderly Christian, knowing that they're with God and free from illness and pain, it still hurts then. C.S. Lewis calls it the ever-present absence of that loved one. Uh, but what about when it's someone young? Breast cancer in her 40s. Car accident in his 20s. And Lord help us when the coffin is only half size. What help is wisdom then? What are the answers then? How do we figure all of that out? If we think there are answers that we can understand or answers that will take away the pain and we struggle and we search for them uh, and never stop, we will destroy ourselves. We can't figure it all out. Wisdom is good. Perspective is good. Theology of suffering is good. But the world is broken. And so to wrap up this heading with verses 11 and 12 of chapter, uh, what is it, 9, uh, the teacher has been saying that we might just lead this successful and sheltered life and be unaware mostly of the brokenness of this world, but we all see death. And in fact, verses 11 and 12, none of us is really oblivious to the brokenness. Here's what the world looks like from down here, from the human perspective under the sun. He says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift. I mean, it should be. That's the point of racing. The race sometimes is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Those who do well are not always those who should do well, and those who should do well do not always do well. Verse 12, moreover, no man knows when his hour will come like a bird in a net or a bird in a, like a fish in a net or a bird in a snare. We can be trapped and then we're dead. Time marches relentlessly on, chance pops up and kicks you in the shins, and then when you least expect it, you die. And at this point, I really want to make a joke. I really want to break the tension. I want to open a window and let all let this fog and smoke 
out of the room, all this hevel, this futility, this frustration, this depression. <clears throat> but it's true. Uh, and if we, can't laugh, if we can't laugh it off standing out there in the graveyard, then we can't laugh it off here either. So what do we do? Uh, what does the teacher have to say about it? What does he suggest? We're not going to get all the answers in life. He's clear about that. We can't figure it all out. Uh, the more we try, the more we think about it all, the worse it probably feels. So what do we do? Well, the teacher's answer is, is probably along those lines, to be honest. It's this. Don't waste, your, don't waste the life God has given you. Don't waste the life God has given you. It's a slightly unexpected change of gear, I think. Life is despair, but don't waste it despairing. Uh, Let's see what he says. Uh, First, it's chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. Uh, Let's let's read verse 15 at least. Uh, Let's read read the three of them. So I, I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. You will never have all the answers. We cannot figure it all out, and you will go crazy trying. If someone says they have, they're lying. So just enjoy today for today. Look for the good in today. And, and again, in Ecclesiastes, as he has in a few previous chapters, he ties that to food and drink. You've had a shocking day. Your husband was grouchy at breakfast. You blew a tire on the way to work. You got there late, which isn't going to help in your annual performance review next week. Uh, And then the GP called to say that she wants to run a few more tests on that problem you've been having. The teacher says, try and have a meal tonight that you know you enjoy. Uh, Crack open that tub of hot chocolate that you've been saving. Uh, Sit down with a glass of wine. Or, you know, (laughs) if you're me... Put the kettle on, fire up the toaster, and open the best marmalade. <laughs> Look for the good. Enjoy the little moments. Even if, it feel, even if it feels like they're just at risk of getting buried under everything else, try and enjoy the little things. See life as God's gift to you and enjoy it as best you can. That's mostly verses 15, but look, look as well at chapter 9, verses 7 to 10. Let me read those. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. So, look, this is couched in the, in the teacher's trademark depressing style, so much so that I, I thought at first when I read these verses he was being sarcastic, but I don't think so. It is like what he said in previous chapters when he was a little bit less oppressed by it all. Uh, see life as God's gift to you and enjoy it as best you can, not uh, wasting it by wishing it was different. See how that's, uh, 
See how that's a waste of even the good things that you, you have? Yes, you might have, a terrible, you might have a terrible hand, but if you wish you had a completely different hand, you don't even appreciate the good things uh, that you have. When you're in the thick of it, you're feeling all the, the hevel of life, all the elusiveness, the frustration, the futility, try to enjoy some good food. Be thankful for good wine or have a great cup of coffee. Um, if you're having a bad day, don't have instant coffee. Verse 8, dress well. Now, this probably needs a little bit of comment. So in that culture, you didn't really dress to impress. You dressed to express. You dressed on the outside to express what was happening on the inside. So when you were in mourning over loss or over sin, you put on sackcloth. It's itchy and dowdy and miserable because you wanted to express that inside you are miserable. The teacher says, look, clean yourself up and dress well. Enjoy that. You know what, you know what it's like you have a day at home uh, you're feeling a bit off, a bit down, not very well. So you put on kind of jogging bottoms and thick socks and an old jumper, and you don't bother doing anything with your hair, and you don't bother having a shower, and none of that actually makes you feel any better. You feel rough. You look rough and you feel rough. The teacher says, look, take a shower, wash your hair, put on something that makes you feel good, uh, enjoy that. It's, it's simple, it's basic, but just enjoy that. Look after yourself and enjoy that moment in the present. Everything else can wait 10 minutes uh, while, while you have a shower. Verse 9, enjoy life with your wife. Uh, don't, take the, don't take the people in your life for granted, whether it's spouse or friends or family, and don't wish that you had other people instead. Uh, enjoy what you can with them. Enjoy them. Thank God for them. Uh, life might be tough, but it would be tougher without the people you love. Verse 10, work hard and work well. Don't expect to take any pleasure from your work, whatever work is in your life, uh, paid or or unpaid or whatever you do with your days. Don't expect any pleasure unless you work hard at it. Uh, The teacher's reason is that when you're dead, it's too late. Uh, And I think he means that work is one of those things where we often slip into wishing it was different. Um, One day, it'll be better. One day I'll get ahead of my deadlines, or I'll get that promotion to the job I really want, or the work that I have to do will be more interesting, or the kids will be just easier to look after at home, or the house will be less work. But it's a mistake to be miserable now in the hope of future enjoyment that never comes. Work hard, work well, and choose to see the good, and take satisfaction, whatever you can, from your work today. See life as God's gift to you and enjoy it as best you can, not wasting it by wishing it was different. Um, there's, a, there's a French mathematician, physicist, philosopher, theologian, kind of all-around smart guy, uh, Blaise Pascal. He, he puts it like this, and I don't often throw long quotes at you, but uh, I, think you'll, I think if you don't really know what I'm trying to say, you'll probably get it here. You'll probably get it from this guy. Uh, He says, we never keep to the present. We anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming and we're trying to hurry it up. Or we recall the past as if to stay its too rapid flight. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us and do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is that the present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And if we find it enjoyable, we're sorry to see it slip away. 
We try to give it the support of the future and think how we're going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time we can never be sure of reaching. Let each of us examine his own thoughts. He will find them wholly concerned with the past or the future. We almost never think of the present. And if we do think of it, it's only to see what light it throws on our plans for the future. The present is never our goal. The past and present are our means, and the future alone is our goal. Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. I think that's, well, brilliant, to be honest. The past and present become our means, and the future is our goal. Therefore, if we live like that, we never actually live, but we hope to live. And since we're always planning how to be happy, it's inevitable that we should never be so. Don't waste today wishing it was still yesterday or working only to enjoy tomorrow. Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow is going to have a tomorrow of its own. Today is where we live. Yes, we sometimes have pain and suffering and distress, but we have good things, often simple things, easily taken for granted. We need to live today seeing life as God's gift to us, to enjoy as best we can with his help, not wasting it by wishing it was different. So wisdom helps, uh, but the world is broken. Uh, we can't figure it all out. We can't distill all the answers. Trying will only make things worse a lot of the time. Uh, so don't waste the life God has given you. Don't waste today. And then briefly, just to finish, before we move to the table, uh, there is one more answer that the teacher in his time in the Old Testament doesn't know, but we do know. There is one more answer, and here it is. Let the brokenness point you to Jesus. Let the brokenness point you to Jesus. The teacher uh, here, he's at the height of the Old Testament, and he sees only a shadow, only a mirage of what God is going to do through Israel's true king who is yet to come. We, however, read his teaching through the lens of the cross. We put our, our cross-tinted glasses on, and we can read this lesson, I think, with a little more hope than, than the teacher. So that sounds worthwhile. Let's try that. Uh, look back over chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. Let's just skim over. I'm not going to read the verses, but just skim over. So verses 1 to 10 of chapter 8 are about the wisdom of serving a good king, but the brokenness and the frustration of kings who lord it over people and rulers who get away with evil. And we agree with the wisdom of, of that, but also with the warning. We know that uh, there are good kings and bad kings, but we also know that there is a perfect king who reigns now in heaven and will return to rule forever with justice and wisdom and love, a king who is a joy to serve now, even before uh, he puts everything right. Or look at verse 14 of chapter 8. We see the brokenness of people getting the opposite of what they deserve, but we know the wonder that the truly righteous one willingly took what the wicked deserve, while we wicked ones receive what he deserves. Or look at chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. We see the, the brokenness that the same fate of death overtakes the good and the bad. But we know that the truly good man, the source of all life, submitted himself to death for our salvation. Or look at verse 4. A live dog is better than a dead lion, but the one who is called the Lion of Judah became the Lamb who was slain. 
Or look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 9. We see death as final and futile, but for Jesus, death was neither final nor futile as he burst through to make a way out from under the sun for us in him. Or verses 7 to 10, uh, we, uh, we want to think wisely and live in the present and enjoy good food and decent clothes and clean hair and a good marriage and hard work. But in Jesus, all these little mini joys are brought to fulfillment as we feast in heaven, dressed in sinless white robes, washed clean forever, enjoying the marriage of Christ and his church and serving him as we work in the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 11 talks about time and chance. But God's sovereignty and his purposes and his plans only look like time and chance from here, from under the sun. From heaven's perspective, nothing is time and chance. God is in complete control, working to achieve purposes we could never anticipate. Who would, who would have anticipated the cross? <laughs> By means that are altogether good to the, to the chief end of his glory. Now, look, in that scheme, knowing that God is in control, we still won't figure everything out but we know it's not meaningless. We know it's not futile. And then verse 12, as we finish, just look at that through those same glasses. Uh, Without losing sight of the present, we can focus on the future because it's not only uh, the hour of our death that is unknown, as the teacher kind of wrestles with, but there is another day and hour that is unknown to us, uh, but that looks a lot different when Jesus will return to usher in all that he's promised, to wipe every tear and to make all things new. So let the brokenness point you to Jesus. You, you know better than I do the particular brokenness that's hurting you and those that you love at the moment. It can seem so random. You think, why is this happening? Just time and chance and death, just wreaking havoc with real lives. In the midst of it all, it doesn't seem like much, but we need to try and enjoy the goodness of the little things in each day. Uh, enjoying what we so easily take for granted. And then we need to let the brokenness point us to the one who came and endured that brokenness because of us, with us, and for us, to save us, to bring us home where all things are made new. Let the brokenness point you to Jesus. We're going to continue to think of him now as we share bread and wine that remind us of his body uh, broken for us and his blood shed for us. As he experienced the the brokenness of the cross, we take those little pieces of food and drink that sustain our bodies as symbols of his death that sustains our souls. If you're not sure about trusting Jesus' death uh, to give you life, life to, to serve him and look forward to his coming, then just pass the bread and the wine along. Uh, Before we do, uh, Paul writes about the brokenness of the world and of life and of our lives and how it's all connected. He says, the creation was subjected to frustration thinking of the the curse in Genesis 3, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Creation renewed as God begins with renewing us. Uh, He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, in this hope, we were saved. Uh, much as our lives can be difficult, painful, frustrating, at least uh, at times, well, there is a day coming when 
our own lives and all creation will be made new. That's Jesus' promise. That is his covenant with us. Uh, The work to achieve it has been done, and it's what we remember now as we share bread and wine together. Perhaps someone would give thanks for the bread and the wine that uh, point us back to Jesus, and then we'll, we'll share them together. Let's pray.